we're returning to God's Word. If you have your Bible with you, we're going to be in First Thessalonians, but we'll just uh, we'll not read uh, from there just yet. First Thessalonians in the New Testament, um, if you wish to turn uh, somewhere. Uh, I want to say to you that I, I well remember um, the difference when I was in the office. Um, I used to work in, a, in an office with people uh, back, back in the day. And I remember the difference uh, when the boss was in and when the boss was out with a, a client or, or, or something like that on lunch with a client. And, and in the first case, when the boss was in, it was... Of course, all hands to the pump. Uh, it must seem uh, like you're an essential part of the machine then. It must seem like you're, you're worthy of the pay packet that you're going to receive at the end of the month. And indeed, uh, you're, you were certainly uh, worthy when it came to the annual review of uh, raises or um, salary increases. But what about when the, pay, when the boss was out? Well, well, that was a different story. Uh, I remember that was that was sort of feet in the desk time. It was uh, time to catch up with a chat in the next office with someone else. Uh, I mean, yes, there was work to be done. Uh, certainly, there was there were deadlines to meet, but the veneer wasn't required now. When he or she is is not there, well, the, it's it's a different workplace entirely. I guess I guess that only multiplies when you're working from home now which some of you are. We're in a series called Christians at Work, and we've been in the Old Testament, uh, the first two sermons in the series, and we've seen that the work assigned by God to each of us as his image bearers at the time he created humanity. Subdue the earth, he tells Adam. The creating God tells us to create. Uh, we have seen the, the, that, that downbeat what is the point of King Solomon in a, in a remarkable passage in Ecclesiastes 1 and 2 uh, last time, which um, in fact goes on to change 180 degrees completely when he considers God, when he finally considers God, when he views the world through God-honoring spectacles. Uh, those, um, those sermons are available to listen or watch again and and if you're, you weren't there, can I encourage you to take time to, to watch them? They were meals prepared for you, to help you in your work, to help you in your Christian walk. But, but perhaps, perhaps in the light of such Old Testament passages, you say, well, Richard, I'm, I'm a New Testament Christian. Uh, and, and Jesus, of course, well, well, he makes all things new, uh, that the physical world of that Old Testament with all its rough and tumble, those battles and, and that land uh, emphasis, that, well, they, they, they become spiritual, don't they? In, in the New Testament, they're spiritual matters that they give way to in the New Testament. And, and of course, we follow Jesus. And, and he famously says, come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Doesn't he? I mean, you only have to think of, of Pilgrim's Progress, uh, that famous book by John Bunyan back, uh, you know, centuries ago that he wrote. Uh, and we have a, an illustrated version in the house where we're at the start that the, the main character, of course, he's lobbing this heavy sack around, isn't he? Around him everywhere he goes. He's like a backpacker touring Europe until, until later it says these words. Christian came up to the cross. His burden loosened from his shoulders and fell off his back. 
It tumbled and continued to do so until down the hill until it came to the mouth of the tomb where it fell inside and was seen no more. But that load is not work. That load in Pilgrim's Progress is sin. And one of the functions of sin in your heart is that you live with a sort of level of self-delusion. That, firstly, that you aren't that bad. Uh, that, that, that you're as good as anyone on the, on the league table and probably quite near the top. That you also a delusion that you can somehow work your way to God. And that comes, that comes with, it, with its own level of, of restlessness, doesn't it? Imagine, imagine with me that I told you that you had to dig a hole in your garden uh, to get to heaven. But I didn't give you the measurements. How would you work with that piece of information? Well, uh, I guess you, you would start, wouldn't you? But, but how would you ever stop? I mean, how, how could you ever rest? Uh, you'd be at that hole night and day, wouldn't you, with a spade? You, you'd, you'd have struck water, then you maybe have struck oil, I don't know, maybe you've struck Australia by the time you, you kept on digging, right? But you still wouldn't know if you'd done enough. Rest is rest in Christ. That's what he promised. Rest in his finished work to save you. Rest from trying and wondering if you've done enough. When, when you repent and believe the gospel message, there's rest for you. When you place your hope on him, he saves you. He gives you assurance of his work being complete. You don't have to dig the garden anymore, so to speak. Rest from the maybes of Islam or Roman Catholicism or Orthodox Judaism or take a punt on the afterlife atheism. You see? By Christ's work we can rest. We're secure that he's digging what we need to get there and we can look forward to rest, can't we? We can look forward to rest. But not endless leisure, endless hobbies and lounging on beaches as nice as that is at times i mean don't get me wrong uh, that that's absolutely part of, of a balanced life absolutely but it's not the whole story of a life lived for god heaven eternal rest it is not without work in heaven right now in heaven right now people don't have their new bodies uh, that's they're, they're what they're in what we call the intermediate estate but in the new creation, which you read about in Isaiah 65, people have their new bodies in the future and they work. They, they build houses and inhabit them. They plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Gone are the days of, of leaving it to others. They, they have their reward. Remember Solomon's problem? I, mean, I work so hard and, and, and I don't know who's going to take it on after me. I, I, make, I make money and, and I just leave it and someone else, they might spend it stupidly. But those days are gone because you will have the reward of your labor. You will have the fruit to enjoy that you yourselves were able to cultivate. That's the idea, isn't it, of that passage? After the return of Christ in the new heavens and the new earth, all things are made new. It's, it's like a, a reset to Eden, only better and bigger. Because it's the whole world. When we will again be subduing the earth as God's image bearers. But this time, 
without the curse to make it so hard. We will be reigning with Christ, but that's going to involve work, isn't it? Solomon was reigning and he'd work to do when we'll serve God in in a perfect world. But it's work without any toil, without any sweat on your brow or back-breaking effort. Firstly, we notice work under New Testament instruction. Let's read God's word. If 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 9. Verse 9 says, Now concerning brotherly love, 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, You have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you're doing and to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you brothers to do this more and more. Verse 11. And to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands. As we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Ending there at verse, and sorry, let's carry on, verse 12, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that they may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep ending at verse number 15 see the context of this passage is that people in the church in Thessalonica that Paul is writing to that believers were so looking forward to the coming to the return of Jesus that they were quitting their jobs they were assuming it was just a couple of days time or a, or a few weeks time it was so soon in their minds that they were downing tools I mean it has been uh, there have been times in the, last, in the last 50 years even or so when people have been so convinced of the date of the second coming or the nearness of the second coming that they've sold up only for the calendar to then tick on by that date. Or uh, to a lesser degree, people have, have zoned out. Uh, they, they've said, well, sure, you know, this place around us, it's, it's toast anyway. I'm just going to swing the lead. I'm just going to punch the clock. And so Paul, he writes to correct this, particularly verses 10 and 11 and 12. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Quitting your work because of the second coming. Paul says, no, don't do that. Don't leave the work to someone else. Don't think you're being spiritual by just doing the spiritual stuff. No, you need to work. By implication, don't be, don't be zoning out on Monday to Friday and, and focusing on Sunday as if that's the entire, entirety of your life. No, it's not. No, it's not. This is not advice. As I remind you frequently, our Bible doesn't deal in advice. It deals in instruction. You live a quiet life, says Paul. You get on with things you need to get on with. You mind your own affairs. You don't be getting too concerned with others. Don't be looking them up longingly on Instagram and Facebook. That's veneer. That's shoe. That's not real. Okay? Don't be be thinking too much about it. Don't be criticizing people or gossiping about them. 
If it's not your realm and there's nothing you can do about it, then it's foolish talk. So avoid it. And work with your hands, he says. It's there in black and white, isn't it? Clear New Testament instruction. Work with your hands. As we instructed you, says Paul. Clearly he uh, and Timothy, who we'll be hearing about tonight, have already instructed the believers in Thessalonica, but they've obviously let things slide. I'm repeating myself, says Paul. I've already told you this. They've, they've downplayed work. Uh, Paul says, work with your hands, work properly, work, work honestly, work hard, no matter what's going on. Martin Luther famously said, even if, I, even if I knew that tomorrow the world would go to pieces, I would still plant my apple tree. That's good, isn't it? Even if I knew that tomorrow the world would go to pieces, I would still plant my apple tree. Now, even if you, if you did know some inside information about the second coming, and, well, you sort of do, but you don't really, even if you did, right, you still work. That's the idea. Why? Why? Why, why, why should they? Reason one. Uh, well, they, they have the same creation mandate we talked about, the same instructions from Genesis 1 to Adam, subdue the earth, Bring order out of chaos, work the land to its potential, mine the land, teach the children, cook the dinner, produce profit and loss accounts, build walls, bandage people up, teach music, paint pictures, make sandwiches and coffee. I'm quite sure Paul and Timothy taught the people this was God's assignment to them. To each of us, in fact, from the beginning, and an instruction he never rescinded and, and, and won't. You see, you don't divide your life into the sacred category and the secular category and go all sacred only. No. No, you glorify God and show you are made in God's image by working. For he's a working God. Why should you? Why should they? Well, reason two, verse 12. So they walk properly before outsiders. They walk properly before outsiders, we, we read. Your walk is at stake here. Your, your walk and your work is part of your walk. Isn't that right? Remember, you, you have the best reason for work that's going. You and I. You work with that perspective of, of glorifying God, doing the thing he told you to do, being his image bearer on earth by working, uh, being, um, being blessed for it by God and, and living the life uh, as the designer planned. You're calling, no less. You're calling. And even if you work on your own, you work on to God. So you work regardless. But, but if others see you, and that's the point Paul's making here, if others see you and, and ask the reason for, for the hope within you, that's a, that's a wonderful bonus. When someone else sees your attitude on the ward or in, in, in school or in, on the building site and, or as you care for that elderly relative and when they see you react well in trouble or where they see you react praising God with positive news, well, you know what? They play this game of spot the difference in their head. It's, it's a little different from what I'm used to. I wasn't, I wasn't expecting that. And, and they wonder, you, you see? There's sort of like a spot the difference quiz going on in their mind. And, they, and they're wondering. 
And perhaps they'll ask even. Because it's such a great wonder in their mind. It's great if they ask. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. I'm a Christian. I see things differently because that's the way God showed me. Reason two is, so you walk properly. Reason three is at the end of verse 12, it's so that you are dependent on no one, Paul writes. You see, you don't leave it to others if you can get away with it. You know, that's laziness. That's, that's a soldier missing from his post, and so the whole army is weakened. You don't stay off on the sick just because you can or overstate things when you see the doctor for a sick line. That's not godly. If you're well enough, obviously this is. That's not godly. You don't waste your retired years when you're made in the image of God who's a worker. You you find something for your hand to do because there's no shortage. There's no shortage. You you volunteer. You you, you notice someone that, that seems maxed out, someone younger, and you say, can I help you? Can I help you with something? You look for an existing ministry to put your shoulder to the plough in church. In fact, the most famous verse in the whole of 1 and 2 Thessalonians on the subject of work is found in 2 Thessalonians 3, where Paul writes this. For even when we were with you, verse 10, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. You see, there are some who walk in idleness. It seems to me there's two ways to fall down on work, isn't there? You You could fall down on idleness or you could fall down on being a workaholic. And neither of those two are good. We'll talk more about the latter next week. But the, the idea here is that some are, are, are falling down on the side of, of idleness and laziness, not busy at their work, letting others take the strain uh, and filling the time with other things because the time's still there. Uh, they're filling it with being a busybody, is Paul's word, but, uh, chatting and gossip, not godling. Working hard under God's clear New Testament instruction is there for all to see, isn't it? Secondly, work under new management. I want you to turn with me uh, to Ephesians chapter 6, please. For some more uh, New Testament instruction uh, from the Apostle Paul. Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to read from verse number 5. Ephesians 6 uh, verse 5, slaves or bond servants, as it says, uh, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere, sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Uh, Paul uh, here, the Apostle Paul, is teaching about the importance of working for your boss. Uh, now, there are instructions for, for bosses too. Uh, if you go down to verse 9, you can see some of that. Uh, yes, it's there. But we're focusing here on the first part, uh, and we the very first word, in fact, um, 
shoots us off in all sorts of directions, slaves or bond servants, right? Now that, that jars with us, I would imagine, more than a little. My, my boss is a real slave driver, you might say, uh, with tongue in cheek. But of course, you're right to condemn slavery after the work of William Wilberforce, if you can think back um, when it was outlawed, and rightly so. But bondservant or slave here, that's not the same as um, African slaves bought on, uh, brought on slave ships via the Caribbean in the 16th, 1800s. That was unbiblical, that was wrong, that was rightly uh, outlawed. This is uh, more of a, of a system that, in fact, enabled the ancient economies of the world to function. The economy of the Roman Empire, for example, as we're talking about here, uh, it's, yeah, it, it's less based on the, on the rights of the individual that are, than our employer-employee ideas today. Yes, it is. There, there are no contracts, no annual leave or trade unions, but it, it's also nothing like the African slave trade either. Uh, back then, you could buy yourself out of servitude if you wanted to, or uh, as some did, you could choose to stay on. Um, with, a, with a roof over your head uh, and food on the table. So it wasn't without some good parts, it seems. Not perfect, as nothing in the fallen world is, uh, but not uh, the same as the awful slave trade that we know about from history. And also, therefore, not a million miles away from our employer-employee situation today. And if we're looking for biblical instruction on how to be a good employee or employer, then I would suggest this is this is clear enough for us to use. Bond servant and master isn't perfect, but it's close to take the instruction from God's word. And with that in mind, Paul writes to say, what? What are his instructions? Verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters. Obey your boss. Not by the way of eye service. Not only when, when she sees you, do it when, do it when she doesn't see you. Do it when she's away. Don't do it as a, as a people pleaser, parading the veneer, as it were, of, aren't I great, <laughs> before them, trying to be employee of the week when they're watching. Do it when doing it to get promoted. Do it whether it's employee of the week time or promotion time or not. That's the idea. Of course, don't, don't be surprised if as a, God-honoring employee, living in, in God's way, you, you do end up being promoted. You're, you're living in, in God's wor- world, God's way. I mean, you're, you're going with the green, okay? Don't, don't be surprised if it goes well for you. It, it may very well go well for you. It often does. But even if it doesn't, do work with a sincere heart. Paul writes in verse 5, do it with sincerity. Do it with a sense of reality, of purpose, whether there's more in it for you or not, from your heart. Do it without thinking, where is this going to get me in the eyes of men or women? Do it with fear and trembling, it says. Fear and trembling. Now, fear and trembling, I mean, that's, that's interesting, isn't it? That, that kind of refers to, to inner trauma, doesn't it? That's the language of inner trauma, fear and trembling. There, there, there's, a, there's a level of seriousness that comes across here that, that we aren't expecting. Can I suggest that to you? When, when you do your, your work, do, do, the, do, do increase the level of seriousness in your mind. Because that's what Paul's teaching here. 
When you care for the children or the grandchildren, do you think of the level of seriousness involved? When you care for a friend who has dementia, do you think of the serious business you're involved in? None of this, oh, I just clean floors or I just look after my mother. There's a, a level of seriousness about Paul's language here. You know the way a heart surgeon goes about his work or a, or a pilot or, or, a, or an airport security scanner? They're, they're serious, aren't they? Fear and trembling is a, is a strange use of language here because that's the sort of language the Bible uses when talking about what you do before God. Listen to Ephesians 5.21, just back a few verses, in fact. Submitting to one another out of reverence, that's fear, same word, for Christ. Okay, but, but Paul's not talking about serving Christ in church. <laughs> the, the things that involve Christ, you know, like he's not talking about the importance of the pastor or the missionary or the one who does proper sanctified work. No, no these, are, these are slaves, remember? Servants, bond servants he speaks to, digging the ground, holding the babies, building the walls, serving the, serving the tea, right? That, that, that's what he's talking about. James uh, Fraser, who's a mission, who was a missionary to southwest China in the early 20th century, uh, I'm reading his biography at the minute, it's called Mountain Rain, he, he says this, Since the things that lie in our immediate path have been or, ordered by God, who shall say that one kind of work is more important or sacred than another? I believe it is no more necessary to be faithful in preaching the gospel than in washing the dishes in the scullery. I'm no more doing the Lord's work and giving the word of God to the Chinese than you are, for example, in wrapping up a parcel to send to the tailor. You see, it all involves Christ. Fear and trembling are precisely the words that are used in Philippians 2 verse 12 when it says, work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. Isn't that right? Because that's the attitude that's similar to how you're supposed to consider your work, the way you consider your salvation, almost. Because verse 5 makes it clear. You obey your master with a sincere heart as you would Christ. You hear that? That's some statement, if you think about it. I mean, I mean, what if, what if he's unfair, my boss? What if he's what if he's a bluffer, right? What if he's what if he's what if she's immoral, foul-mouthed, and hates the sight of me, right? Doesn't matter. Obey with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. You turn up on time, and you do as the boss says. For you, you do it as you would Christ, and in that you work. You're a servant of Christ. I don't know what your job title is, but as a Christian, it requires a set of brackets after it with servant of Christ in them. That's what it requires. It's, it's wrong to generalize. I get in trouble when I do that. But I do think it's not much of a secret that civil servants sometimes get a bad name. And I'm the son of a civil servant, so I do feel sufficiently qualified to say something to point out that distance from the ultimate boss is one of their struggles, shall we say. The minister in charge of the Department of Infrastructure or the minister in charge of education, well, they're just too far away. In Stormont, 
it's not that far away from here, but it's far away from your office if, if they're your boss. In fact, the, the chief civil servant in, in Whitehall, well, he's across the water and he's never coming into the office, if you get the idea, out of sight, out of mind. That's a problem. That's a difficulty that you face. But as, as Jesus' servants, they work as they would for him, uh, obeying as they would obey him. For, for that's what it means to be doing the will of God. That's what Paul writes, isn't it? Jesus' workforce. They, they have no such distance trouble because you know what? He's always there. He, he dwells by his spirit in you. Have you, have you heard of the Protestant work ethic? It's what um, fired the Industrial Revolution. It contributed heavily to the ships they built in Harland and Wolfe when they built Titanic. And it was fine when it left us, by the way. It, it turned cotton and flax mills up and down the land, right? The Protestant work ethic, which came out of the Reformation, because you know what? They knew verse 7. Verse 7. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. And that makes a big difference. You see, if your boss is a man or a woman, well, she or he only have one pair of eyes and only have one location. But if you work on to God, if you work on to the Lord, if you have that audience of one, work with God as your boss, then, then he is your boss if you're a Christian. That makes a big difference. You see, this is not to relegate uh, I don't know, or downgrade work that you traditionally think of that you do onto the Lord. I don't know, as a deacon or on the invitation team or in Sunday school or on the AV this morning or sitting among the children and pathfinders. It's not that you relegate that. No, it's that you see all of your work and raise that up as onto the Lord. That's what you do. That brings a, a level of seriousness to your 40-hour week. It does, doesn't it? That brings a level of dignity to your parenting. Finally, notice work under great terms. Marks and Spencer have a great reputation uh, for looking after their retired employees. I'm told uh, they, they offer 20% off for you and a plus one for the rest of your life. Now that's good, isn't it? But surprise, surprise, God's reward scheme is better. Verse 8, look at that with me. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord. When you're next on duty, remember, God rewards you. God rewards you. Perhaps it will be this side. Perhaps it will be in this life. Or... Perhaps like the faithful servants in the parable of the talents, so when, when, they, um, when they use what God gave them and put it to work, God rewards them in the coming kingdom by putting them in charge of cities, serving there. God will do it in the future. He's promised to do it. He will do it in the new creation. He may do it in this life, but it's up to his sovereignty to decide. But he will reward you. He's no man's debtor. He's no woman's debtor. He won't leave you disappointed. He won't leave you underpaid or counting up the hours to make sure you've got the right overtime on the payslip. No, he won't. As the all-powerful, gracious God, he's the one who says he will reward you and he's the one who really can reward you. 
Jesus says in Matthew 6, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. You say, how do you do that? Well, you work unto God. You work for the Lord in the place where he's called you, just, just where you are, in fact. Use your talents to work. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's a struggle at times. But it's what we must do. It's not all equal over there. Did you notice that? It's, it's performance related. It's rewards for the faithful and less for the lazy. Did you, did you notice that? Some people think heaven's just egalitarian in a different way, right? It's not. It's not. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. You see, there are rewards coming. There's a day of assessment coming. Not, not over your salvation. Don't, don't get that wrong, right? For, for Jesus has dug that well and, you've, and you have the water of life in you and, and you're safe and secure, right? Absolutely. But how you work before the boss, that matters. Work this week with eternal rewards in your mind. And even if you don't have a boss, even if you are the boss, he's your boss. He's your ultimate boss. The Lord, Paul's saying that, that we, we do what we're told. He's saying we show up on time. He's saying that we, you have an attitude of working onto the best employer on the planet because you have the best employer on the planet. The Lord Jesus. Do all of your work like that. Even if you're self-employed or freelance, retired working or caring for elderly parents or spouses who are unwell or volunteering at some ministry. He rewards us. And you know what? He helps us. He helps us. He's the one who gives you your daily bread. He's the one who gives you your daily breath. Brothers and sisters, it's inconceivable that he isn't helping you in your work. You know that? It's inconceivable that he isn't helping you as you bring up those children, as you care for that, that, that loved one, as you slog away at the tasks of any given Monday on the ward, in the background work you do when no one else sees. He sees. He helped those who put up the fence yesterday and he will help again next Saturday. He's the boss who helps. He gives you the strength and the patience to get up and go. For our boss is always with us. Not to spy and pick faults and be grumpy as he bluffs his way. No. But to watch over and help. To encourage us. To bring the dignity to the task that others lack. To, to in time reward us and to reward us well. For service rendered unto the Lord. When someone asks you what you do for a living, next time you say, I render service unto the Lord. You say it unto yourself, right? It might sound a little strange, but that's what you're thinking, right? I'm rendering service unto the Lord. For he's my real boss. My one real boss. Let's pray together, shall we?